Amen. Boy, if you're here tonight and you can't say that, you need to change something. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. What a blessing. Mom and Dad stand up. Uh, He's talking about Mom and Dad here, and we want to... All right. Amen. God bless you. So good to be able to see you all being able to, to be together. We'll open your Bibles tonight to the 19th Psalm. 19th Psalm. I told Bev a while ago we was getting ready to leave the house, and I said something about, you know, I, I'm really having a, a battle tonight trying to figure out uh, what I'm going to preach. And, uh, and she said, oh, no, or something like that. But uh, anyway, we're going to camp out here for a little while. Psalms 19. This is one of my favorite sections of all of the Bible. It is absolutely amazing. It was written by by David, and it has to do with man's response to God's revelation. Man's response to God's revelation. And there ought to be a response, by the way. Whenever God reveals His will, uh, we need to respond to that. This psalm divides itself into three parts, keeping in mind that this has to do with God revealing Himself. And in the first six verses, it has to do with the witness of the skies. It's as though God says, you know, if you don't know anything about me, just look around. Look up in the starry skies, look out yonder at all of nature, which testifies as to the existence, the wisdom, and the power of God. Then beginning in verse 7 through verse number 11, we see the witness of the Scriptures. And in these verses, we learn that the Scriptures are uh, adequate for every need. They're accurate in every way. They're absolute, they speak with authority, and they can even be abrasive. If you look at verse number 11, Moreover by them is thy servant warned. And so there are some parts of the Word of God that's that's bitter, and other parts, you know, that are sweet, but all are for our good. The third section that we're going to look at tonight, begins in verse number 12 through verse 14, and it has to do with the wisdom of the songwriter. And that's the section we're going to look at. And I want you to notice four things in these three verses. And all of this has to do with words of wisdom. That's the title of the message. And first of all, notice his confession of ignorance. Notice what he says, verse number 12, Who can understand his heirs? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Notice, who can understand his heirs? It takes a a wise and an humble person to confess their ignorance. You know, uh, we would much rather brag about our brilliance, wouldn't we? You know, we know something and we want everybody to know we know something. 
But here is a man that's confessing his, his ignorance. That's usually one of the very last things that we want to do, and yet that's exactly what David is doing. Now, notice here, this is a question, but it's also a confession, and I say that because the answer is obvious. And so that makes it a confession on his part. I say the answer is obvious because many places in the Bible remind us of our lack of understanding, but perhaps the very best place that I know of that speaks about that matter is in Jeremiah chapter number 17. And I want you to notice what he says here in uh, verse number 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Notice the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. And who can know it? Well, that's what David is saying. Who can Understand the air of his ways. Whenever we think about our offenses against God, it's such a delicate matter that we can't even begin to comprehend them. You know, we can't understand how sinful we are because we can't comprehend how holy God is. It's easy to stand here and talk about the fact that God is perfect in all of his ways. It's easy to talk about the fact that Jesus was tempted in all points such as we are, and, and yet without sin. But it's a whole nother matter to try to wrap your mind around that and really be able to comprehend all that is implied by statements like that. We just can't understand it. Well, consequently, because we can't understand the greatness of His holiness, we can't understand the magnitude of our sinfulness. We don't know ourselves nearly as well as we think we do. And so David starts out here with this confession of ignorance. Now notice the last part of verse number 12. And y'all pray for me. My voice is trying to, trying to tweak out on me and I hope I can make it through this. But notice the last part of verse number 12 because here we see his comments about sin. Having made his confession, now he makes certain comments. And notice what he says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. You know, everybody uh, has faults that they're not aware of. You know, on the other hand, we all have faults that others, you know, can't see. But we're very much aware of it, but others can't see it, you know. We go to bed at night, you know, with a guilty conscience, and we know that we fail in this way or that way, but others don't know anything about it. And by the way, I don't think it's wise to tell everybody everything you know about yourself. You know, I think that's a big mistake. I, you've heard people say, well, my life is an open book. Really? Come on. Are you? Who, who do you think you're kidding? Your life is not an open book. I mean, there, there are things that you know about yourself that nobody else knows. For example, for example, sometimes, you know, people will maybe praise us for the good deeds that we've done how kind we are, 
how thoughtful, you know, we are. And uh, we know that we don't deserve it because we know that our motive was wrong. It's kind of like, you know, when Billy Graham was, him and his wife was attending a revival meeting and they were taking the offering and he, uh, you know, they were running low on money and what have you. And so his plan was to put in a dollar, but by mistake he put in the $20 bill, you know, and so he was telling his wife about it later and she said, well, he said, she said, you're just going to get a reward for a dollar. That's all you intended to put in and. You know, motive matters with God. And, and, and so, sometimes, you know, somebody will say something, well, boy, you, you're you just a wonderful person. You did this or you did that. And, boy, you know, we just love that. We just, you know, keep it coming, you know. Man, we love all of that praise. And yet, deep down in our heart, we know that what we did might have been impressive and what we did might have been right in a lot of ways. The fact of the matter is, we did it with the wrong attitude. I've been guilty of that. I think about old Brother Brown whenever he was living. I, I did some favors and good deeds for Brother Brown that I'll never get rewarded for because I didn't want to do it. I, I just, you know, not every time, but sometimes, I mean, right in the middle of something, you know, I'd get that phone call, and, but zone, uh, <laughs> I need you to take me somewhere. Bless his heart. And uh, usually it involved before the trip was over stopping and getting ice cream, which he wasn't supposed to eat anyway, you know. But his heart doctor told him no ice cream, but he figured out ways around that, and he'd get you feeling sorry for him, and you'd do that. So what I'm saying is we don't know ourselves as well as we think we do, and there are things about us that we do know that other people don't know. I guess you could say we're better and we're worse than what we think we are because there are so many areas of our life wherein we fail, whether other people realize it or not. And, and you know, there, there are things about us that nobody suspects, things that we are conscious of but nobody else knows. But I'm saying all that to say this, that's not what our text is talking about. We have these good qualities and these bad qualities, and we don't even know our own heart in regards to those things. We're better than we think we are in some ways. We're worse than we think we are in some ways. But what David is talking about here has to do with those faults of which we are not even aware of ourselves. That's what Paul had in mind when he said over in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, For I know nothing by myself, Yet am I not hereby justified. It's as though Paul is saying, I've searched my heart, I've examined my life, I don't know of anything wrong in my life right now, but, he said, that doesn't justify me. You see, a lot of times we think, well, if we feel good about ourselves and, you know, we, 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 we got our act all straightened up and we're doing the right thing and whatever, that, that means everything's all right. Well, not necessarily because we don't know everything about ourselves and we're too quick to excuse ourselves. 
Now think about, you know, the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee stood there before God and he prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as this publican, you know. And he just goes on and on and on. He's thinking about all of his good qualities and how bad that publican is. And there's so many times that we're in that same boat. We emphasize all of the good in our life and we totally ignore the bad things in our life. Charles Spurgeon said, what we know is as nothing compared to what we know not. And that's right, because Satan is so crafty uh, that that he hides the truth from us. He deceives us, and, and, and what you don't know can hurt you. You know, just because you don't know something, like Paul said, I, I, I don't know anything by myself. I, I don't know of any... Uh, indictable charges that could be brought against me. But he said, that doesn't justify me. And a lot of times if we think that we are not aware of any bad stuff going on in our life, that everything is okay. You know, that's kind of like saying that it's all right to have cancer as long as you don't know about it. You realize how many people died of cancer, you know, because they went on and on and on. They were not even aware of it until it reached the point that nothing could be done about it. And sometimes that's the way it is with sin in our life. We're not looking for it. We're not examining ourselves. We're not praying as David did here concerning those secret sins in in our life. And if those things are never brought to our attention they end up destroying us. That's why Bible study is so important. That's why it's so important that you read the Word of God every day. That's why it's so important that you be in church every time you have an opportunity. Because there are things about you that you don't know, that you need to know, and it's through the Word of God that He speaks to us and reveals those things. You know, we get so busy looking for the the good in our life, you know, and we'd be a lot better off if we'd start looking for the bad in our life, for the sinful things in our life, and finding those faults. Because, you know, that's not pleasant, but it sure is profitable. I mean, you know, it's not... You think, well, I've just been wondering how I could enjoy a pleasant afternoon. I think I'll just see make a list of all the things that I can find that's wrong with me. You know, that gets pretty ugly after a while, doesn't it? You just start making that list there. But the fact of the matter is we need to see ourselves as we really are. And what others say about us might not be accurate. What we think about ourselves may not be the truth. We need the truth of God's Word, because we fail to see the seriousness of sin. So what you don't know about yourself can be more dangerous than what you do. A secret sin is like having an enemy in the camp. It's like having terrorists in the community. They might live right next door to you. They might work with you. You see them every day. You have no idea that they are a terrorist. You have no idea that it's their intent to kill as many people as they possibly can. And yet they're right there with you every single day. That's the way sin is in your life. You might not be aware of it, 
or you might be aware of it and you're not willing to deal with it. But the fact of the matter is it's like an enemy in the camp. You know, it's one thing when our enemies are well-defined when they're over there, so to speak. It's another thing whenever they're in the camp. Those are the ones that are dangerous. That's why it's been said so often that America will never be destroyed by any outside power. The thing that will destroy America is corruption within. We end up, as Israel did, we end up destroying ourselves rather than being destroyed. I learned a long, long time ago playing ball as a as a kid that in my I had an uncle that just loved this phrase as we were playing ball over and over and over again. I'd hear him say, "Now don't beat yourself, don't beat yourself." You know, most of the time in a ball game, you end up beating yourself rather than getting beat. You know, to get beat by a better team, that's one thing. To beat yourself, you know, because of errors and things of that nature, that's a whole nother thing. And usually a team ends up beating themselves. And usually whenever it comes to someone falling into sin, someone destroying their life, it's something that they do to themselves simply because they're not willing to identify and deal with the enemy. And the enemy is that sin within. Look over in Psalms 139 for just a moment and Boy, this this is another one of those psalms that has so much to say about uh, about things that are crucial to our welfare. And notice in Psalms one thirty nine, in just a couple of verses, verse twenty three, "Search me, O God." We sing about that, right? "Search me, O God, and know my heart today." Well, this is where it came from. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer that is. And that ought to be our attitude because we never discover the truth about ourselves until the Spirit of God reveals it. And how does He do that? He reveals it by the Word of God. He opens our eyes. He enables us to see our spiritual state. Now go back to our text, verse 13. Now remember, we're still talking about His comments about sin. Notice He says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin." Under the Jewish law, atonement could be made for any sin except the sin of presumption. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 says, But the soul that doeth ought presumptuously, whether he is born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he hath despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that so shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. And there was no sacrifice, no remedy for presumptuous sin. That's why David is so serious about this. 
He's asking God to help him, to keep his, him back from presumptuous sin. Well, what is a presumptuous sin? Well, a presumptuous sin is a sin that is committed willfully with the knowledge of right and wrong. You know, there are times that we do things, and because of our lack of understanding of the Bible or our confusion about an issue, there are times that we do something wrong, and we're not even aware of it. But in the presumptuous sin, we are very much aware of the fact that what we're doing is wrong. It is a willful sin. And a lot of times we have the idea, you know, well, the pleasure of sin is more important than pleasing God, or the pleasure of sin is of greater value to me than the punishment for doing it. There are people that actually think like that. If I got the story straight, something about killing squirrels when he was a boy, Brother Ron was talking about uh, getting a spanking or something, you know, for... Huh? He wasn't supposed to be killing squirrels, but he liked, he loved the squirrels so much, you know, that they didn't waste them, so they cooked them, so he was willing to take a spanking in order to get, in order to get some squirrels. So, you know, some people are that way about sin. You know, that's their attitude. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they're going to enjoy it so much. Let the chips fall where they may, you know. Boy, let me tell you, that is a dangerous thing whenever it comes to our relationship with God. So it is a willful sin with the full knowledge of good and evil. It's a deliberate sin. You know, the, in some cases, the passion of a moment might sweep someone off of their feet. Just all of a sudden caught up in some temptation and what have you. It might be a matter of fear that has caused some people to do things that are wrong. Sometimes in road rage, people have been killed because someone was angry and the other person was afraid. And so they end up killing someone. They end up doing wrong out of fear. But some people plan their acts of sin. That's what we're talking about in a presumptuous sin. We're sinning willfully, knowingly, know that it's wrong, it's deliberate, and it's usually with the attitude that a quick, half-hearted confession is going to make everything right. Because they presume that, well, God is merciful. You know, there's always the grace of God. I know, listen, I had a preacher telling me this very thing. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God is merciful. Just, you know, just like God's going to give him a pass on sin. I mean, that's as crazy as it gets. And we've got people out here preaching that, that, that believes in something so nonsensical as that. Let me tell you, that's dangerous whenever you presume on the mercy of God. God is merciful, but remember, just as there were, was no sacrifice for the sin of presumption in the Old Testament, God's not going to forgive you when you sin against Him with the attitude is that He is so loving and so kind, so merciful, that God's going to let me get by with it. And then procrastination can be involved in this. Because there's a lot of times, you know, we presume, well, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God is merciful. Let You know, maybe He'll let me off the hook. Uh, but even if He doesn't, you know, I, I, I'll get it right later on. You know, right now, in the moment, I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing, even though I know this sin is contrary to the will of God. 
and they presume that they'll always have time to make it right. They suppose that God is going to withhold His judgment until finally they decide to repent. Well, David was different. Notice verse 13 let them not have dominion over me. Talking about presumptuous sins now. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgressions. Now, when I read that and I think about the man writing this, automatically it tells me that evidently it's possible for good people to commit presumptuous sins, right? I mean, here is a man described by the Word of God as a man after God's own heart. Here is a man that loved God. Here's a man that wanted to do the will of God. And let me tell you, if this could happen to David, it could happen to any of us, and that ought to put the fear of God in us to think that in some way or another that we could get to the point in regards to some particular sin that we would be guilty of presuming on the mercy of God and we would procrastinate, would not deal with it, let it go, just thinking that maybe I'll be the exception to the rule and I'll get by with it and you won't. You're in dangerous territory when you do that. Whatever the sin is... So many times I, I was really in a quandary tonight because uh, a part of me was wanting to, wanting to preach about uh, Achan's aching heart. And uh, you think about the story of Achan and the horrible sin that he committed and the terrible effect that it had upon other people. And Achan thought, you know, I can hide, I can hide it in the camp. Nobody's going to find out about it. Nobody's going to know about it, so it'll all be all right. But it wasn't because God knew. And uh, when we think about the possibility of it happening to us, you know, with him the sin was a sin of covetousness, and he took that which was unlawful. With us the sin might be something entirely different. Whatever the sin, they're all dangerous. makes no difference. Now, notice the third thing in verse number 14, the first part. He says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. His prayer reveals his purpose. And notice here, this request gives us a glimpse of David's heart. It speaks to us about David's true greatness. Because David is a man who cannot bear the thought that he might do something, say something, or even think something that's contrary to the will of God. He does not want to please God. And so he says, notice, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. Lord, let those be acceptable in thy sight. You know, there's a lot of times we can refrain from some sinful activity, you know, in doing the deed itself. And there's a lot of times that we can refrain from saying things because we know that would be unbecoming for a Christian. And so we, we zip up our lips and we don't say that. But boy, sometimes, you know, the, the thoughts of our heart, the evilness that is within us. And 
Others look at us and they see only that outward picture and everything seems to be fine. But David, notice David wants to get down to the very heart of the issue. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so he says, Lord, I want the meditations of my heart to be acceptable. That is the things that I think about. You see, our thought life is important to God. We can refrain from the activities of sin. We, we, can, we can clean up our speech to where it's not offensive to God. But if the thoughts of our heart are evil, then God's going to deal with us accordingly. And all of these sins, regardless of whether it's a word, a deed, or a thought, regardless of the nature of the sin, it's still what? Still sin, right? And because it's sin, there are going to be consequences to follow. So here he is expressing his concern for purity. You know, I can't help but wonder if we are that concerned about purity today in our lives you know, we get concerned about a lot of things related to the Christian life, right? We get concerned about our, uh, our understanding of the Bible. We want to learn all that we can. That's well and good. We get concerned about our, our prayer life. We get concerned about all of these other things in our Christian life. But sometimes we, we skip this matter of purity. Purity is important to God. Doesn't the Bible say, be ye holy? Why? Because God's holy. And so we're to be holy. And David's expressing his concern for purity, and that involves word and deed and thought. Now, one more thing. Notice the last part of verse number 14. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Now, notice, O Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. This is his contemplations of God. Notice he says he is my strength. And if we ever forget that, we're in trouble. As I said this morning, you know, he is the vine and we're the branches. And he tells us without him we can do nothing. Without him we're going to be a total failure. Without him our life will never amount to anything. It's only by being dependent upon Him that we can ever become the people that we need to be. He is our strength. It's not by determination and grit. It's not that bulldog tenacity or any of those things, none of those qualities about us. God is our strength. And boy, there's not a minute of any day that we don't need Him. But then notice... Notice, he could have stopped right there. He could have said, the Lord is my strength. But notice he proceeds and he says, and my Redeemer. What's David doing? What is this all about? I mean, he could have left, left these contemplations off, you know, but he didn't. And the reason he didn't is because this is a reminder of the fact that he is our Redeemer. Why is that important? Because we have been redeemed, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We no longer belong to ourselves. We no longer have the right to do as we please. But rather, now we have an obligation to do as He pleases. 
I hope that you'll spend a, a lot of time in the Psalms. And if you've never really spent time in Psalms 19, I, when you get home, if you just take verse 7 and 8 and 9, 10 and 11, and those verses there pertaining to the Word of God, and just sit down and think about those and meditate on that, you'll see how important God's Word is because He tells us in verse 7 it's powerful and it's plain. Then He tells us in verse number 8 that it is pure and it's pleasing and it's permanent. And then in verse number 10 He tells us the Word of God is precious. But verse 11 He shows us that the Word of God is preventive. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. You know, you've heard the old saying, prevention is better than cure. That's that's right. It's a whole lot better to stay on safe ground than it is, you know, to try to fix something after you've messed it up. And and here he's showing us the preventive power of the Word of God that by doing these things, we can keep ourselves on a firm foundation and on sure footing. But, But it's only because and if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only when he becomes our Redeemer that he becomes our strength and our help in a time of need. Whatever it is that you're facing in life, I want you to know our God is able. He's able to do exceeding abundant above all that we could ever ask or think, Paul said. You don't have a problem God can't solve. You don't have a need that God can't meet. You don't have a question that God can't answer. He is the divine solution to every problem that any of us will ever face. Trust Him. Follow Him. And notice he says, in the keeping of these, there is great reward. God wants what is best for us. I'm glad we serve a God like that. You know, God could say, look, I don't care whether it's good for you or not. This is, this, this is the way I want it to be. But God is very much concerned about us. He's concerned enough that He was willing to give His only begotten Son to die on the cross who shed His blood. Why did He do that? To redeem us. He's our Redeemer. We belong to Him. And because of that, we ought to live for Him. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. And those are waiting baptism, if you would, come right ahead. Uh, Brother Morris will be back there by the door, and he'll take you to the dressing room. I'll be up there in just a little bit. Our Father, tonight, how we thank You for Your loving kindness and all the blessings of life. How we thank You, Lord, for Your Word and for the for the effect that it has upon our life. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'll keep us back from presumptuous sins. Help us, Heavenly Father, to never presume upon your mercy. May we never presume that the, the pleasure of the sin will be, be worth the price that we have to pay. And Lord, we just pray that you'll give us the strength that we need, that we might be able to conquer the sin that's in our life and to live a life that's well-pleasing in your sight. 
And Lord, tonight, whatever the need is in, in every person's heart, I just pray that you'll speak to them, minister to them, and help them and bless them tonight, that they might go away rejoicing in your goodness, that they might discover you as their Redeemer, Redeemer and also as their strength in a time of need. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.